know, it's a little funny to me when I come across an episode that I barely remember, and then it turns out to be an episode that I actually enjoy. This is, this is an example of that. Let me just give that away. Sanctuary, however, does touch on one topic that I'd just like to avoid as much as I possibly can. Can we, can we do that? Because this episode does a lot of things very right, and then a couple of things very wrong that completely pull me out of the episode and then make me not care about it. <clears throat> but uh, regardless, this is an episode about refugees. There is no way to talk about refugees without trying to touch on some kind of real-life aspect of politics. And I would rather just avoid that whole topic. My opinion on the matter, in extreme brevity, there's no good answer to a refugee situation. Not really. Um, and that's all I'm really going to say about that from a real-life perspective. So right at the beginning, we see Kira is really starting to smoothly slide into her new role as what is effectively an administrator, which is funny considering she has a military rank as part of a provisional government, but we've got agricultural issues, we've got a food crisis, they mentioned like four or five times in this episode the famine issue that Bajor is having. Also, I'm sorry, you, you have... How are you having a famine? Moving on. Um, they mention uh, rebuilding the forum for the arts, right? Uh, she's got her station duties. All of this makes... It's a nice little slice of life thing. And I know this is going to sound really, really boring, but I was, like, really engaged in all this. My thought was, oh, God, yes, we're going to see something that DS9 does best. It's, it's the world. It's the setting. It's that, that, that flavorful part-of-life real aspect of things, right? Like, you know, every episode doesn't have to be lasers and ray guns and super doom aliens and threat of the week. We can actually spend some time in DS9 establishing some of the real problems, actual dilemmas, real concepts. Oh, oh but then there's a ship coming through the wormhole it's about to explode. <laughs> I, my literal reaction this time watching this episode was, damn it, it's getting in the way of the good stuff. <laughs> Anyways... <clears throat> This episode does do a lot of things right. One of the things, as I mentioned, is the universal translator thing. It takes several, several minutes of real lifetime and probably a few hours of in-lore time for the universal translator to finally catch up and be able to pay attention enough, understand enough, to be able to translate their language. That's awesome! There's, that's so awesome! And they don't spend too much time on it, which is good. They use it to help establish a character moment, the dress, right? And they use it as a way to just make it more believable. That's what I like about that. It, it, it doesn't, you don't have to go overboard. We don't have to spend weeks studying the language and the syntax. But there's just an, an added layer of, okay, because of the fact that we don't understand the, this brand new race we've just met for the first time ever instantly. Yes, I know the Universal Translator exists for a good reason. I even agree with it from a literary perspective. Life would be a nightmare without something like a Universal Translator in Star Trek. But it, it's still cool. Oh, here's a new race. What do they say? Oh, oh, okay. Keep them talking. Keep them talking. That makes sense, too. The more the computer can listen and analyze their speech and their patterns and, and what they're doing, the better chance it has of figuring out what they're saying and how they're saying it. And I love how it kind of segues into understandability. 
you know, blah, 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 need, blah, 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 you know, oh, blah, 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 need for help, blah, 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 us, blah, 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 you know, and it just kind of bit by bit starts to understand the language. That was all great. And I want to give real quick props to Deborah May. Um, she's the woman who actually plays Hanik, the <laughs> leader, um, and, you know, basically our main face for the screens, and she does an excellent job. It's harder than you'd think to basically say, nonsense, 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 and nonsense, 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 and nonsense, and just kind of throw real words. She does a very good portrayal of sliding that in there. That had to have taken a few takes, so definite props to the actress. Um... I also have to admit there's a couple of other things that I wish they'd done a little bit better. Uh, other part, works of Star Trek, Picard has done this, uh, Chakotay has done this over on Voyager. The thing where you use body language and tone in order to get across communication. I feel like I just talked about this. Oh, that's, that's because I did. Uh, Loud as a Whisper over on TNG. I actually did that episode a while ago. I'm not sure when it's going in relation to this one. It's sometime this month. I don't know. I don't have my calendar on me. It's over there. But the point being, you know, there's ways to communicate without using your words. And so I wish they'd done a little bit more of that, but that's a nitpick. That's not really a big deal. Um, I also love how they almost immediately start fixating on Kira. That's something I'm going to talk about more later, but it's nice that they lay that seed early. And finally... <laughs> I really like, whoa, you're on attack. I really like how Odo manages to pretty much immediately guess the scope and scale of the problem. Three million. Now, first of all, three million people actually isn't that much. Uh, there are more than three million people living within 20 miles of me right now, you know? So, I mean, that's not actually that many people. But three million is a lot more believable than 3,000 or 300. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is a populace. A small populace, but a populace nonetheless, which is in trouble and needing help and blah, blah, blah. I love that Oda was the one with the security-minded mindset to be like, huh. And then we got our second mention uh, of, of a group, um, what were they called? The Dominion, that was it. It was our second mention ever of the Dominion. They just kind of slide that under there. It's brilliant because the episode actually pauses for basically a second. You know, they were pushed out by some some group called the Dominion. Huh. And then they move on with the episode and they don't discuss it again. Laying the seeds is all I'm saying about that. We'll discuss the Dominion far more later. Um, so I also noticed something. Leyland Orser plays one of the Screens. He has an extremely bit part. In fact, I'm not even sure he has any real lines. It's a damn shame, because, I mean, the man's a great actor. You might be like, who's that? He played uh, Dejarin over in the Voyager episode, Revulsion. One of my favorite Voyager episodes, actually. And in no small part because of his portrayal. He did a great job. I loved him in that episode. Um, so I'm just, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh my god, I never noticed that was him before. Now... <clears throat> I like the idea of this being a security nightmare, and once again, we have that believability going through it. Later on, a kid manages to steal a ship. That makes perfect sense. This is a security nightmare. They have literally thousands of these people running amok, and we've already seen how... And we, they do a good job of presenting to us the idea of how much of a nightmare this is by showing what two Screens can do right at the beginning of the episode. You remember that? just trying to take the stuff and being obstinate and all that. And then, <laughs> you know, now we've got thousands and lots and lots of extras roaming through basically every scene. Very good job of presenting that idea. 
Because from that point on, you don't have to show us the chaos. We, the audience, can infer the chaos. Once again, believability. Now, I also love the idea that Hanik, who is literally just a farmer, she's not a, a provisional leader, she's not a head farmer, she's a farmer. She is, she is literally as qualified to be a leader as I am, and I am not qualified at all, which is my point. Just like, it's, 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 it's someone walked up and said, Laura, Laura, um, you happen to be the one to find the Vulcans, or whatever. Here you go. You are now the leader of Earth. What? You know, that's just, no, God, ah, God, no, I don't want that job. That would be terrible. Everyone would hate me forever. <laughs> I'm not qualified. Jesus, you know. <laughs> That's this is the, the general aspect of this. Now, granted, I do plan to conquer the world someday, but at least then I'll have earned it. Then, then maybe I'll work my way up to that point. But right now, I'm just some guy who talks on the internet. You know, it's, no, no. Um, so, I love the way that they present that. Um, and now, uh, now we got to skip forward a little bit. Let's talk about the screens. I mentioned the refugee thing earlier, but. There's one thing they do with the Screens, which is basically brilliant. The Screens are casually genderist, and I do mean casually. There's no, oh, you're inferior. <sighs> this, wait, wait, where's the prop? Where's the prop? I bought this thing for a reason. Oh, this gender is imperfect. You know, they don't do that. They don't go over the top with it. They don't. Uh, they, they don't go like, ah, 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 yes, oh, disgusting, filthy insert here, our inferior. They don't do that. They are casually genderist, with no hesitation whatsoever. Oh, well, they're just our men. Oh, no, we mean no offense. Really? We love our men. Why are you looking at me so weird? You know, not even understanding why that would be an awkward statement. Now, I'm not calling them out for being anything. It's part of their design, the screens are designed to make the audience uncomfortable. It adds to the dilemma. It adds to the circumstance. Imagine for a moment if the screens were totally cool, right? You know, totally cool with whatever. Just basically, in other words, if they were pure victims is what I'm trying to say. If they were just nice, helpful, positively inclined people, no antagonizement, no, none of the, any of the issues I'm about to bring up. They were just cool. This episode would take on a completely different tint because at that point, the Bajorans are very clearly the bad guys for not letting them in, and the Federation are very clearly the bad guys for not trying to force this. And blah, blah, blah. There's just, it would change the overall tone of the episode, but instead, they're awkward and uncomfortable. They are designed to make us uncomfortable. So there's the genderist thing. There's the casual po uh, uh, polyamory. There we go, or polygamy, or whatever, whatever the proper term is for that. And again, that's just kind of slid in there. Kira even is like, oh, wow, no, no, I don't, I don't do that, because it makes her uncomfortable. Do note, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, by the way, but I will freely admit that made me uncomfortable, because I don't like that. I, I don't want that in my life. That's not my choice, right? So I look at that, and I think, Ugh. And that is my knee-jerk reaction. It doesn't make anything necessarily wrong with them, but it does make them a little bit uncomfortable. And then there's the skin flakes. The idea of a race that just leave little bits of skin behind as they go. Just a little, it's, it's, it's a small thing. It's not a big thing. It's not like they're, they're, they're literally defecating on the floors or vomiting or, or making things explode or anything more overt or obvious than that. It's just a tiny little irritant. And then there's the fact that they are 
let's use the word scavengers. The best example of this is when Nog and Jake are looking down at the kid, and he's like, as soon as some people leave one of the dinner tables, he just rushes over and starts eating the half-eaten food that's left over. And they flat out say, oh, God, that's disgusting. Because that's kind of that too, right? Be honest. If you were at a restaurant, and as soon as you got up from her table, you could see someone rush over to whatever food you left on the table, just start, nom, 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 nom. wouldn't that just bother you a little bit? Right? You see where I'm coming from on this. And then, the final one, they are aggressive and argumentative. There's a scene <laughs> where a couple of those kids, males, of course, because, you know, the males of this particular society are uh, Neanderthals, they respond to a prank, an ultimately harmless prank, let's be clear, from Nog with literal physical violence. If, if They do a great job of, of showcasing this. Ignoring the usual Star Trek scuffle, if Jake hadn't intervened, he was about to pummel the crap out of Nog. Like, you, you, you see that. It, it, it cuts by very quickly, but it's all implied because the kids hold Nog, and then the main guy does this, and like he's about... Uh, for those of you watching, listening to the MP3, I know you can't hear, see me, but he winds his arm back like this, like he's about to go in, and Jake is the one who intervenes. He's like, whoa, dude, no, what are you doing? And Quark has to get involved. And I like how Quark gets involved. Quark already doesn't like these people, for the, many of the reasons I already mentioned. Oh, they also don't buy anything because they're poor refugees. Going back to that earlier point. Quark gets involved. And I like how instantly and without hesitation, Quark jumps to the defense of his nephew. Something about that appeals to me. This is not the first time we've seen Quark does legitimately care about his family. And so I like that just quiet thing that when the chips are down and someone is literally trying to beat my nephew up right in front of me, no, that's not freaking happening. So we have this construct where there's these people that we don't really want to be around, do we? We don't wish them any harm, <laughs> right? It's not like they're terrible. It's not like they're the enemy, it's not like we want them to starve or we want them to be oppressed or we want them to be conquered or anything like that. But could you do your stuff over there? Right? Thus we can understand more clearly the Bajoran mindset. Now, all of this construct up to this point makes perfect sense. It makes the whole episode wonderful. And then the episode was rewritten basically from the point of the Bajoran's decision onwards. And if you're paying attention... It's noticeable. The entire tone and presentation of the episode just suddenly shifts rails, like the, chain, the train jumps to a completely different railway and goes off in a different direction. Because all of that is thrown out the window. Instead, see, the original ending of the script was actually fairly tepid, and nobody really liked it. The original ending was, okay, and then you'll come to our planet, and the end. And nobody liked that, and I agree, there's, there's other ways to do that. But instead of going any of the routes that they could have, they just said, well, why don't we just go shift the rails over here and make it so that this conflict happens at the end. But all of that conflict feels incredibly forced and artificial. So here's the thing. The Bajoran government sits down and says, no. And she says, no, but, but it's, I've got a prophecy that's incredibly vague. Let's, let's think about this for just a moment. Go through the wormhole. On the other side of the wormhole, there will be a planet touched by sorrow that we will help. I forget the exact wording, but that's the prophecy. Now, that's one of the vaguest damn prophecies I've ever heard in my life. This is Star Trek, where some prophecies can be literal, real things, right? But 
it is far more likely in this case that this prophecy is actually just a vague story of hope passed down by either some people or through vagueness or legend as in a desire of maybe someday we'll be able to figure this out. That's probably why it's so damned vague. How many planets in the Alpha and Beta Quadrant do you think would qualify as on the side of the wormhole, touched by sorrow, and could be helped by these people? I bet it's in the thousands at the least. But no, it's got to be Bejar. No evidence, no anything ever supports Hanik's perspective on this. Nothing. It's got to be Bajor. It has to be Bajor. I mean, look, it's right there. I mean, I don't want to move far. Do we have to move far? I mean, we've already brought our ships here. Do we have to? Eh. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing supporting her case. On the other side of the case, there's everything. This just abruptly stops being a moral dilemma. This stops being a social stigma thing. This stops being an aspect of cultural disharmony and instead becomes, we're idiots and we're right. And that's where the episode just loses me because let's talk about this for a second. So, we, uh, what are the reasons for not allowing them to settle? Is it because they make them uncomfortable? No. Is it because they don't trust them? No. Is it... Because they hate them. <laughs> these, these alien species are imperfect. If only they could be as beautiful as that. No, they don't say any of that. They don't mean any of that. Even Kira agrees this is the right call. And so do I. This is the correct decision. It may not be the right one, but it is definitely the correct one. These people want access to a territory that has been ravaged by the Cardassians for probably in the decades range. A territory that might be able to be turned back into arable land. By the way, why isn't the Federation doing that? You literally had a terraformer on this show last week. Why aren't they helping this peninsula? Why are they having a famine? I'm, I'm sorry, the lack of Federation support in DS9, the show, is continuing to bother me. God damn it. <laughs> Anyways... At least they fix that later. Anyways, so they're literally having food shortages, and these people want to take over this whole area. Now, note it's not a problem of giving them the land. I do like that. That's already something that politically and culturally might be considered, huh. Like, imagine for a moment that Antarctica is fully arable land. Just picture this with me for a moment, okay? And so it's this nice, clean land, but nobody's really settled there for whatever reason. Okay? But it's owned by whatever country you live in. Okay, So the country you live in suddenly has three million refugees show up and say, can we please have that land? Even under nominal circumstances, that's unlikely to happen because that's your country's land. Just giving away large chunks of land like that is a big freaking deal and has been for all of human history and in fictional history as well, in the history of Star Trek. But the Bajorans are okay with that side of the equation which I think says something about, once again, showcasing how they're pretty much universally in the right on this. Because their concern is that area might not be arable. That area might not be salvable. You guys, we've run projection analysis. We've done hard science on this to determine that it is possible for you guys to make this work, but not likely. And then... And, and, and there's this great line where Hanik's like, we, we're not expecting handouts. And the Bajoran's like, I'm, are you freaking serious? She doesn't say it that way. But she might as well say, are you freaking serious? You really think, you really think that if you guys start having trouble and start having starvation issues and start dying, that we're not going to help you? Give me a freaking break. And I love that. 
But again, it completely destroys any, any dilemma here. It's also worth noting that they've already found a planet that is practically perfect. It's a freaking 15 pop cap te temperate planet, for God's sakes. <laughs> Sorry, weird reference. Um, let's see, Draylon 2, it's unclaimed, which we'll talk about that in a second. It's temperate, it has good soil, it has short winters, it has an acceptable orbit of the sun. What the hell? That planet is better for you in every way. It's also an entire planet. And granted, there are 3 million people. They don't need a planet. It's probably why they were talking about a peninsula. But, I mean, for God's sakes. But no, it must be Bajor. Why? Well, uh, I really like Bajor. Is that, is that a good reason? The only good point Hanik ever makes is that we, as both... The Screans and the Bajorans are both oppressed people. The Bajorans had to live through the, the Gardasian occupancy. The Screen were, were conquered and lived under that conquest for years and then had their conquerors conquered. So they are like bottom of the frickin' barrel, down the ladder rung of the hierarchy, and they're now pure refugee status. Literally don't have a home to call their own. That's the status of these people. So the idea that maybe that these two wounded soldiers, bad analogy, these two wounded people could actually help each other out makes sense. But she never says anything or does anything to that effect until they reach the end where she finally gives that final speech to Kira. Huh? <laughs> I, <laughs> Let me ask you another question. The hell's going on with Draylon Two or Seven or whatever hell it is? I I wrote down, but my twos and sevens look pretty alike. I think it's two. No, seriously, what's up with that planet? Why is this near perfect, arable planet that is apparently nearby, you know, because it's within the sector, unclaimed? I mean, I could buy that it's actually Federation territory because I could buy that the Federation would be willing to gift this planet to these people. That makes perfect sense to me. That's, and that's my headcanon on the matter. Otherwise, they just happen to find a planet nearby that's fine while Bajor is having a food crisis. I hate to keep coming back to that point, but God's sakes, people, you guys have the tech and the resources. This is not a situation of we don't have enough. You have enough. Do something about it. I know, I know, Bajor isn't part of the Federation, but this isn't exactly a prime directive scenario, is it? If Bajor said, please help us get food, the Federation would say, okay. Although now that I say that out loud, I suppose that might be the problem, isn't it? Bajor's like, we will never ask the Federation for help. I kind of thought we were over that. Didn't we have a whole story arc, several story arcs about that already? Yeah, whatever. I know, it's harder to do than, than, than to or, Yeah, it's harder to do it than to say it. I'm right, I'm right. And then Hanik gets all drama-y. And I'm just going to phrase it that way, because that is exactly what she does. She doesn't have any legitimate points. You know, I, I thought you were my friend, but you betrayed me by giving me a planet. A planet that will perfectly suit my needs. How dare you? <laughs> what? And then Kira says, I, I, I was hoping we could still be friends. And then he says, oh, so you were just presuming that you, would, you were seeking my forgiveness. Well, I don't forgive you. Forgive her for what, exactly? Forgive her for thinking long-term? Thinking like an administrator? 
uh, thinking for the betterment of your people and her people, thinking about the kind of political connections the Bajorans and the Skrians could have long term and become like interstellar partners to help form an additional alliance barrier against the Cardassians and other forces. No, 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 of course not. You betrayed me. Yeah. All sympathy for the characters flies out the window for me. I'm just like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then they have one last scene, which is actually very well constructed, where the kids steal the ship to go, I'm going to Bajor. That is such a kid thing to do. I could totally believe that. You know, because like, there's no logic in it, and there's no long-term planning in it. Very childish. Um, I don't say anything that is an insult. That, that makes perfect sense. I've done stuff that's stupid. Uh, I'm not going to give you any examples, because it's kind of embarrassing, but I have done stuff that's stupid. I imagine most of you have as well. And... They, the way they cut through this is actually awesome. They contact the Interceptors. The Interceptor says, we have orders. From who? This general. Get me that general on the line. Hello, general. This is a child. Order them to stand down. Okay, orders given. They do it perfectly. That, that one little interaction there is actually wonderful. It is so rare to see that kind of competency and professionalism and getting to the heart of the matter quickly as we see in that scene. We go straight to the leadership. We tell the leadership, this is what's happening. Here's the situation. You can tow them back. Tell them to stop firing. Orders sent, you know. Bam, 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 bam. But it still turns into a tragedy because he had that leak. They didn't actually really shoot on the ship. They mentioned that. I didn't think we even hit it, is the exact words of the pilot. They shot, the, the, the kids, the idiot kids shot back and probably didn't hit anything because I doubt they know how to target or fire in a combat scenario against Bajoran interceptors. The Bajoran inter interceptors fired warning shots. Again, we didn't even think we hit it. So it's a wonderful, almost perfectly constructed tragedy because no one was really at fault there. It's just the fact that he had that damaged ship, so a bunch of kids are dead now. I do like that. I know that sounds horribly morbid, but I do like that tragedy. That dividing wedge between the screens and the Bajorans. That makes sense. That thing. If you had shuffled the scene where, where, where Hanik is so pissed off at Kira to after that event, it would make a lot more sense because now she has something to be upset about. And it's not actually Kira's fault. But that's not the point. Children have died. Emotional reaction. Later on, she might be able to recognize and cognate that this was just a, a ridiculous tragedy. But in the heat of the moment, she would probably be furious. I'm not forgiving you. You just got those kids killed, right? That would have made a lot more sense to me. And then they wander off, and we never hear from them again. A pretty good episode. Three-fourths of a good episode, I think, still qualifies as a good episode. So I enjoyed this. I hope you'll see me next week for a much more... Uh, light-hearted episode than God. What we have? We've had suicide and the death of children on almost on screen uh, on DS9 the last couple weeks. So uh, here's hoping we get something a little less dark. <laughs> and they say Star Trek's never dark. I'll see you next time, guys.